diligent work of ibadah, or if you're lucky through the barakah of Allah, through the pure blessings of Allah. Um, okay, the second question, if I remember, had to do with uh, the, the, the place of Mizan. Oh yeah, reason and Mizan. Yeah, um, whether reason is essential, my own, again, other people might disagree with me, but I don't believe reason is conducive to Iman. And I've gone back and forth on this, by the way, throughout my life. So, I mean, I wasn't born this way. Believe me, it's something that comes as a result of a long philosophical journey where I end up saying that reason is not conducive to Iman. It's not reason that's going to take you to Iman. It's hard work or Allah's blessings. Second, whether reason plays the central role in the Mizan or in the Qist is a very huge issue. The Mizan, if you will, to jump ahead, lay, lay out my cards as to what the total tafsir. Um, the Mizan is the achievement of moral virtue. The role of reason in achievement of moral virtue as opposed to the achievement of formal justice, if you want to call it institutional justice, you cannot achieve institutional justice, formal justice, without reason. To say, I want to build formal justice on customs, on habits, on intuition, on futuhat, on nuri niyat, all of that is nonsense. Formal justice is anchored on reason. The difficult and challenging issue is the extent to which virtue can be anchored on reason or anchored on something else other than reason. That's a very difficult philosophical question. For the majority, vast majority of people, they don't need to resolve the philosophical question. Because I if I can't recommend a book on the philosophy of virtue to them and they can read it and they can learn from it and they can in fact add to their enlightenment about the role of reason and virtue by reading these philosophical texts. If they read these philosophical texts and they feel lost, because I've had that experience where I went in my younger years, my more humorous years, uh, you know, I would Tell people to read, oh, you have to read this, you, you will, are worth nothing unless you read this philosophy book. And of course, I would, you know, throw all types of philosophical texts at people. And over the years, you know, I've had people who read philosophy and completely misunderstand what it's saying, read philosophy and be utterly bored and completely confused, read philosophy and hate me for recommending philosophy because they find it just absolutely horrendous. You you realize that, in fact, philosophy is not for everyone. And for a lot of people, the path to virtue must be something other than rigorous philosophical reason. 
but reasonableness. Reasonableness. That is the path to virtue for the vast majority of people. There are a group of people who Allah has inflicted them with a type of intellect where they cannot be reasonable. They need philosophical rigor. That's the only way their brain can work. If you tell them be reasonable, they don't know how. They don't know how to be social. They don't know how to be, um, uh, you know, engage in social niceties. They don't know whether to bring flowers to a, a date, uh, you know, hopefully a shara'i date, you know, engagement, <laughs> marriage, that type of thing, not haram type of stuff. They don't know whether to bring a present. They don't know whether to write to bring the card. They have no social abilities. Allah has not given them reasonableness. But for many of these people, Allah has given them a philosophical mind. They need philosophy, and they can approach virtue through the path of philosophy. And for those people, now of course, again, I'm not preempting the question of how much reason do you need for virtue, because that's something that I, I, I st continue studying. And every time I hear of a new book published on that issue, I jump on it. You know, most books end up with a disappointment rather than an enlightenment, but every once in a while, you find a book that adds something, and you say, oh, I'm very happy I read that book. I've learned something. But it's a very important question, because we don't even ask the question in our modern Islamic context. We often talk about justice as if it could be the result of intuition, or tawfiqillah, or angels sent to our aid, or, you know, some other nonsensical... Uh, 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 superstitious process. Uh, formal justice is not the result of superstition, it's the result of reason. While virtue, we don't even, we haven't even stopped talking about virtue as a product of anything other than what we read in hadith and called literal text. While you can never learn virtue from cold literal text in the same way that law cannot teach you virtue law is not the instrumentality towards virtue those people who try to read learn virtue from the literal text of hadith or even the literal text of quran it's as if they're trying to learn virtue from legalese and that's not what legalese do that's not what the expression of law does. So that you're asking a the, exactly the type of thing that if we get that thing on if we if we can get this process that we or or this project off the ground, hopefully the entire discussion would be recorded. I wouldn't impose philosophy books on the students because if I did, then I would have no students whatsoever. <laughs> Everyone would run away. So I won't, I'm not going to do that. But I would raise philosophical questions that we can think about that the Quran raises for us to reflect on, to reflect upon together with a considerable amount of hand-holding. 
So I don't want to scare anyone. I'm not going to, like, you know, say, figure out the meaning of life, uh, you know, come up with three different philosophical theories at what consciousness means. I'm not going to do stuff like that. This is a, a spiritual process, not the type of stuff I do to students who pay to be in my class, you know, <laughs> God help them. Um, yeah, I have a reputation as a teacher, unfortunately. <laughs> Rizwan can tell you, Rizwan's head is here. So he, he, just, he did his doctorate with me. Oh, and your husband can also tell Well, no, he did. Yeah, Marwa, but he, he did his MA with me, not the doctorate. But still, you know, um, he's my student. No matter what he does, he'll remain my student for the rest of his life. Okay, any go more, on. Any more questions? Okay, Allah. Allah, Allah. Go ahead. It's my Hi. Great. Um, that hasn't made me. Um, I just have a quick one. It was a really interesting way of um, looking at the Quran, which um, knew that blew my mind. But um, I'm just wondering, you were saying but what makes a sura a sura? Um, and you can't mix and match things, and, and we saw that today. Now I'm wondering if looking at the suras this way has opened up um, any meaning for you in terms of the sequence of the Quran and the, and then the kind of order they come in and the order they've been um, preserved. Yeah. That's a that's a good question, and it's a question that deserves a much longer discussion because that that uh, we we would have to it would be worthwhile to talk about the history of the way that the Quran was organized um, because it's an issue that raises the fervor passions of Muslims and a long time ago before we were married, I was thrown out of a Muslim camp because of saying the wrong thing about the sequence of the surahs of the Quran. The, the organizer of the camp said it's organized by the longest to the shortest, and I cited a couple of examples where that's not true, and I said that that's not, that that's not exactly true. There's another story, and he got very upset and just thought it was blasphemous. and and. Absolutely. So, I, I was thrown out. Um, yeah. It, what I can tell you is this. I have found that it is nearly impossible to understand the message of the surah unless you also take fully into account when that surah was came to be, came to existence. So, for instance, one of the suwar that I thought, I considered presenting today, but decided against it because it was too long, uh, is Al-Ankabut. Now, the chapter called the spider, Al-Ankabut, the message of that chapter, and why it is called the Ankabut, and what is Ankabut? What is the, 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 the spider and the, the house of a spider doing in the surah? Cannot be 
understood unless you know that this was a surah that was revealed at a critical juncture of the hijra because it is essential to the message of the surah there are surah like an-naml the, the 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 ants the ants which the fact that it is an early Medinian surah, a surah revealed early in Medina, is critical to understanding the message of the surah, of why the ant, and what it's saying about why that theme of invoking the ants and ant colonies and so on. So, you know, I've, in, Every surah, in all the 114 surahs, part of my relationship with the surah is to know the entire narrative for revelation. The, all the reports for the occasions for revelations, all the debates about the authenticity regarding the reports for the occasions for revelations, all the debates about when the surah was revealed, and what parts are debated, what parts are not debated, which, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm hesitating to say this because I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm anticipating the type of headache that's going to come from it. Okay, here goes. Uh, which has given me serious pause about the way that the, the current, the Qur'an is organized, the order of surahs, and has led me into a long investigation, scholarly investigation, as to how that organization came about, which is a completely different story than the naming of the surahs. That's a completely different story. Now, of course, I, you know, that doesn't, I'm not saying that I'm in favor of reprinting the Qur'an organized differently. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not even getting there. Uh, I'm just saying that it's a, an issue, a scholarly issue that is worth looking into and that is worth studying. And, you know, depending on the interests of the type of questions I get, again, if this project takes off, I could share that research, and Allah is the protector, you know. Part of the, the ailment that inflicts modern Muslims is even those who have capital are very cowardly. I mean, I've never seen more cowardly rich people than Muslims. You know, I've seen people of other traditions, they commit money to something just because they're interested in learning more, even if it's controversial. With Muslims, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen Muslim donors the minute that the issue of controversy comes up, they withdraw their commitment, which has had a direct impact, by the way, on the culture of imams in, 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 among American Muslims, very cowardly. 
because they know the minute they say controversial things, their position as imams, they could be in trouble with the board, their position could be eliminated, their salaries could be cut, their housing could be terminated. They, it, it, it drives me insane. Is it a coincidence? You, you, you've now had just a taste of the type of study that I've, I've, I've invested. Someone who's invested this type of study, the amount of resources that have been wasted in shaping this intellect, in molding and shaping this intellect, and yet after all these years, I abandoned every Islamic center that I know of in the United States? Is this logical to, to, to anyone? I mean, does it, what does it say about us? And why? Everyone, I'll tell you right now, everyone either respects me or is threatened by me. Everyone either has extremely high regard for my knowledge, even if they don't want me to come to their center and speak. They, they want to respect me just quietly. And they, and they pay their, you know, lip service respect. And, and when they need a favor because they, they have a kid that wants to get into UCLA or, you know, whatever, want to get that wants to go to law school, you know, you know how it is. But, or is threatened. But that's not a valid reason to for us to waste the type of investment that we, went into shaping an intellect. And it's not just my, uh, by the way, it's not just me. It, look at Muslim academics and their relationship to the Muslim community. I, when I was a graduate student, I had, we had a good year. The year I was started out at Princeton, there was there were four, no five, Muslim graduate students admitted that year, or maybe over two years, but we, we were all close to each other. And all of us started out, we would pray Jum'ah together, and we all of us committed, one form or another, to the Islamic tradition. I mean, I don't want to name names, so I don't embarrass anyone, but there are people that you would probably have heard of. Uh, because all of them, all of us, you, you know. And we, we would all meet for Jum'ah, we would all meet for Ramadan, we, we created our own little community. But as the years went by, all my friends became so alienated in their academic journey, in their pursuit of academia, so alienated by the constant rejection of their fellow Muslims, by the constant marginalization they experienced from their fellow Muslims, that at this point in our career, as far as I know, I am the only practicing Muslim. None of them. All, all four no longer self-identify as Muslim. If they do, they keep it a secret. I mean, uh, even with me, even when we get to when we when I see them, you know, they don't think of prayer. They don't. They they don't have no reservations about drinking alcohol. They they've lost it. They've lost it. Do I is you know is it entirely a Muslim community's fault? No, because I I, I never say I, I will not blame them. They should have been stronger. They should have persevered. 
But at the same time, it's not entirely their fault. Because they tried and tried and tried to find a place within the Muslim community. And all they ever got was, we have no place for your scholarship. We have no use for you. And weak, I mean, people are humans. They, 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 they eventually weaken. And especially when they meet, you know, a non-Muslim woman. They, they were all men, by the way. You know, so I'm not... We, we, maybe that's why most of us ended up being losers because we, maybe if we had voice of women, things would have been different. But anyway, they, they, they all, you know, they meet a non-Muslim woman and then they marry the non-Muslim woman and before they know, they don't pray anymore and they don't, you know, it's all gone. It's all gone. And then they get into the game for tenure and, you know, wanted to prove themselves to make it a tenure and, you know, to play the game for tenure, you have to pretend that you have nothing to do with Islamic convictions that you can think objectively as if, as if any of the Orientalists are objective thinkers about Islam. You know, I know, I knew Patricia Crone very well, she, for, 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 and Bernard Lewis very well, and I can tell you they were far from objective interpreters of anything. These people were anchored in a full agenda, a fully subjective agenda. You know, if you haven't learned this about academia, people, it's a game. It's a game. We all pretend to be objective, but we're not. Objectivity does not exist. It's a myth in academia. The, there are some good academics who confess their lack of objectivity, and there are academics who play the game and conceal it and hide it. Anyway, I, you know, once I get into that topic, you know, I have now... 40 years of experiences in this, you know, 30 years, sorry, not 40, 30, 30 years of, of bent-up experiences and so many people that, you know, I thought we're going to grow up practicing committed Muslims together because we started out this way. As graduate students, we started with a lot of dreams and a lot of hopes and over the years, you just the number of Muslims, the number of Muslims who started out caring about Palestinians, and it was a matter of moral conviction. I will never compromise on Palestine. The, the, the genocide that the Palestinians have been, the, the, colonial, the colonial eradication that Palestinians have been exposed can never be right. And then... And then they say, oh, no, no, you know, we're just changing our tune until we get, we, we make tenure. But you know what? When you learn to lie and pretend, you forget who you are. And after tenure, the vast majority, not all, because there are people at UCLA who, you know, after tenure, they, they anyway, even after tenure, then, you know, oh, I want to make it to full professor. Then I want to make it to step two. Then I want to make it to step five. Then I want to make it to step ten. Oh, I want to max on my retirement. Well, you know, I don't want to be punished because then I retire at 80%. The excuses never end. The excuses never end. You either have moral courage and conviction and you understand what this life is about, or you don't. 
Okay, sorry for the, <laughs> for, for, you know, you, you can tell that I get very <laughs> upset on that topic. <laughs> it's important to know. But I, 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 I know, I remember that some of you are up-and-coming academics, and I'm, I'm telling you the way it is. Um, you know. I, I wish someone told me when I was coming up the ranks. I wish I, I had that type of mentor that would have just... My mentor was, was amazing, was wonderful, but, you know, it, it, it's, it was, that was not his cup of tea. He didn't have that type of experience. Anyway. Um, are there any more questions? Joe. Hello. Thank you so very much, Professor. Great all the other students for all the questions um, exciting humbling it's five in the morning and i'm not tired and i'm not at tired all. at all <laughs> um, uh, i've been struggling with asking this question because it may take us away from surah al hadith so if you feel it does then please feel no it's i understand i was struck by the challenge in surah al hadith to believers, but of course, specifically the Sahaba, when you were saying, um, Professor, you know, the Prophet is not going to be around for too much longer, and to stop up, break the burden, break the ritual, step up. When you were saying that, I very quickly started thinking about what happened after the death of the Prophet. It wasn't too long before, you know, Sahaba did start fighting each other, Battle of the Camel. Um, and then later, of course, we have stuff like Karbala and we have all that kind of stuff. Um, so, the, the, do the Sahaba, do they pass the, the iron challenge that this surah asks of them? And how we answer that, how should we rethink or think or engage with the Sahaba? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very big question. Um, very big question. It's the type of question that you know will will we'll take will get you into trouble. There, there, there's no way way you can touch it with any level of honesty without getting into trouble. Uh, on the one hand, on the one hand, the the rate of conversion to Islam after the repeated military victories in Arabia, and especially in the military victories against Persia and Byzantium, the, the tribes, the Arab tribes that had been traditionally allied to either the Persian Empire or the Byzantine Empire, had had a long history of owning allegiance to, an, uh, to a higher power, and their fast conversions to Islam um, by necessity, spilled trouble. Um, you had a, a huge influx of energy, of an enormous amount of tribal energy um, that would have to express itself in Islamic terms, but that were not anchored in Islamic values. Um, so that was one part of of the dynamic. The other part is that there were high ideals, high political. There is a wonderful book by 
a, a, a Lebanese scholar called Ridwana Sayed, um, just it's called Al Shura. No, sorry, uh, Al Fitna. Al Fitna. And Ridwana Sayed discusses um, the history of Al Fitna and what were the political ideals that sparked some of the major conflicts. And I, I like that book because it, it, it's, you know, he goes back and he puts aside everything he learned from Orientalist historians and revisits the original sources, saying, I'm going to listen to the original sources without the influence of the various Orientalist historians that have uh, narrated the story. And he reaches some remarkable results, and it's, you know, I, I actually, I'm not sure, as I was talking, I was asking myself if the book was translated to English. I know it's translated to French. Um, you'll find that Rodwana Sayyid Fitna, it's both in Arabic and French. Um, so in part, it was these, if you will, um, uh, tribal dynamics, in part it was a battle over ideals, but what I have, because he, as you know, I, I've written an entire book about the emergence of the discourses on rebellion. Uh, although I dealt with it from a from a legal perspective rather than a theological perspective, but nevertheless, the, the, I've I've read this entire body of literature as I was writing this book. Um, what I've always found remarkable is that despite the political conflicts and the civil wars, that the production of culture continued unabated. And this is a testament to the normative power of what was left behind. The logic would dictate that once such a small young empire and dynasty with the type of enemies it had in the world, once it started the infighting, infighting produces complete collapse. Part of the collapse of the Persian Empire was infighting. Part of the collapse of the Byzantine Empire was infighting. And it would have stood to reason that the young Muslim empire should have collapsed and should have been obliterated because the infighting should have produced an absence of culture, complete destitution, complete lack of aspirational vision, a complete moral defeat, and the end of that empire. But that's not what happened. And that's, for me, far more interesting than the story of the civil wars. Because when the production of an Abu Zar al-Ghafari and what Abu Ghazar al-Ghafari produced, despite the civil wars and the way his tradition was, was reconstructed and reinvented in so many different forms, is a far more nuanced and fascinating story than anything that happened in the civil wars. Even Aisha, who was actually a part of the civil war, the way Aisha's memory 
and role was imagined and reimagined and recast by foe and friend, by both, by both of those who hated Aisha and those who loved Aisha, is fascinating. It was the production of culture. And so this, we need, we need, oh, um, the, the author of Al-Fitna, sorry, it, it was many years ago, is not Rudwana Sayyid, is was Hisham Ja'id. Is a Moroccan historian, and Jaid he spells it D J A I T. Hisham Jaid, D J A I T. The book is in French and Arabic. It, it, the reason I really like this book it is the only attempt that I know of to produce a history of Al Fitna that is not simply uh, an extraction from the writings of Orientalist historians of the 19th century and the 20th century. Even all the Arab historians who wrote about the fitna from a pietistic uh, perspective, what they did is that they would read the Orientalist scholars, they would get offended by the Orientalist scholars, and then they write a history of al-fitna that was basically dogmatically apologetic. The purpose of that was to deny what the Orientalist scholars said, rather than to produce an, an authentic historiography of anything. So, you know, as I've told students over the years, when I recommended that book to them, I always recommended them to study it and to learn from it its methodological approach. And for those, you know, a lot of Muslims talk about decolonialism. I think what that, that's where decolonialism starts, is when you can free the burdens of your intellect and at the same time have a passion for truth. You know, I'm not, it's not, the, the point is not to defend the companions or to not defend the companions. It's not to condemn them or defend them. History is a much more honorable endeavor than that. Our history, our approach to history should not never be about either defending or condemning. It should be to learn from the past. Learn from the past, whatever the past can teach us. Uh, and a lot more can be said about that. And I, inshallah, I, I, I mean, since the issue of the companions, I'm sure will come up again and again, uh, you know, especially when, when we talk about Surah Al-Baqarah, for instance, or uh, some of the other sort of like even Ali Amran, which has passages that directly impact on it, we'll revisit that inshallah. How are you holding up? It's uh, getting very late now. Yeah, yeah. and my, I, the, when I wear this thing, I can he he hear, but um, my eardrum is very sensitive, so after a period of time, I start feeling sh sharp, stabbing pains in the eardrums. Um, Alhamdulillah. I mean, maybe Allah knows that I tend to blabber on and, <laughs> you know, Allah said, okay, I'm going to give you a way to shut up whether you like it or not. So, Alhamdulillah. So, do you want to stop here then? Well, I feel, I feel what's the question? Uh, so, we have one question from the, the live stream, so it's not, right. not part of the interactive group. 
Is there a difference between the morality of laws revealed in the Meccan verses and the morality of laws stated in the Medinian verses? This is a dichotomy that many Islamophobes use. Yeah. Listen, this is also a dichotomy that have been used by Abdullah Naim, have been used by Mahmoud Taha, have been used by a lot of Muslim reformers. Uh, the Mecca period is relevant, uh, the Medina period is, re is irrelevant. Um, uh, uh, I am completely opposed to, to this, in this entire paradigm. Morality is morality. If, you, if Allah is truly speaking, Allah doesn't doesn't wish wash waver on morality. Allah is not speaking with one morality at one time and another morality. Allah is not respectful of virtue in Mecca and then conniving and deceptive in Medina. That is just a fundamental mis failure to understand what the Quran is all about, and in. in, in it is the Quran. That is a direct product of feeling to. I mean, part of what I start, why I started this entire journey, is having been gone through a good Orientalist education. You know, getting a doctorate at Princeton and having all my good Orientalist scholars. I was, you know, I was taught by. Bernard Dewis, Patricia Crone at different times, Michael Cook, Avram Yudovich, may God bless, the, bless them. Um, uh, you know, a good Orientalist education. You get to a point where you seriously are confused about whether the Quran has any coherent message whatsoever. And I must admit that that was part of my journey. That was part of what called me to go in, I'm not going to die that there were moments where I really wanted to know. Um, is there a coherence, a coherent, moral, virtuous message to the Quran? And now, decades later, my answer is absolutely yes. And this dichotomy between Meccan and Medinian verses is completely false. And inshallah, I pray that I have the opportunity to demonstrate this. That is why you also want students, because if Allah has given, hasn't given you the talent of become, being succinct, when you have students, they might be able to communicate what you say in, an, in a half an hour in three minutes. <laughs> um, you know, but I recognize being a student requires sacrifice and I you know I, I and I don't blame anyone for the life is is challenging and you know so may Allah bless you all. I had mentioned to the um, to the interactive group that they could stay on at the end and just introduce themselves. Are you okay. are your ears okay for that? Okay, let's persevere. Okay. okay. So then um, we can end the live stream and then um, let me just Yeah I I, I, I do I do want to I'll just say that I remember this is a pilot. Um, this is just a prototype. The, it is very incomplete because out of 114 surahs, we've done one surah. And you will not start even getting the point of saying, oh wow, I see how the complete picture is forming until we have gone through about 
at a minimum, 60 surahs. And that's the point where you start saying, I see where this is going. I see where the, the, the entire complete picture, and it might be even later. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure, but that's the point where I reached, I think, Surah 68, where I start saying, oh, no, this is, this is working. This is, in fact, a valid methodology, and it's working with remarkable consistency and yielding results. And I am coming to an understanding that was all the years of learning tafsir on the on the on the hands of blessed shiuch may Allah bless them and honor them. I have not learned. I'm not you know the the the, the training in traditional tafsir is important, but this is something different. So, if uh, if you found this successful, pray do du'a that Allah would facilitate the, the means to make it happen. Um, I just can't figure out a way to do it while teaching a full load and with the m many other duties because I, I also wear the hat of a lawyer, uh, you know, waste, very wasteful part of my life and a complete waste of resources and time. Um, and also pray that Allah sends these, you know, uh, self-sacrificing students that are willing to throw themselves to the lions for a, <laughs> for a year. Um, so, so thank you so much. Um, so from here, I, I just, um, I want to say, you know, you guys are, thank you, God bless you for staying this whole yeah, time. Yeah, I can't believe Especially that. if you know, you're on the other side of the world and it's now daybreak for you. How many hours was this? Um, so we started at 4 and it's now 9.30, so it's five and a half hours. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that you guys stayed that long. <laughs> so, this is insane. It's amazing. So it's, it's really important. Um, now I'm going to put some more pressure on you guys because now you, you state the course and you know what this is. And I, I believe then that that means that you share a little more of the burden because if you see how special this is and how important it is, you know how we need to make this happen. Um, and so the number is, again, 400 um, monthly contributions committed for a year of $100. That's the goal. And I'm going to share with you guys online and, you know, we'll launch a campaign so people understand that this is the magic number. But also, if you're a student, you, you want to come and be one of these people that, you know, is here for a year, it's a great way to get people to sponsor you um, and, you know, tell them what this is. And, you know, let's, let's make this happen for the community. And I also, uh, you know, I would really appreciate if you guys write me and let me know what your reactions were if you have any ideas, um, anything creative um, that you know can help us get the word out, anything that I can produce as far as like marketing materials or something, I've done a write-up to explain what this project is, and now that we've been through it, I can add a little bit more to it. But I invite you all to be part of this process to help us figure out how to make it happen. If it's not, you know, if, if this is not what you want to do, if it's not what you signed up for, it's totally fine. So it's really, you know, everyone has to come to it on their own. But if you're all in like I am, um, then, you know, tell me, share with me, you know, let's do it. Let's make it happen. So um, 
so we'll, from here we will we'll end the live stream and then um, the, you know the interactive members just stay on so we can do a quick like introduction um, just let me know Sharif when, when it's off and then and inshallah we'll see you guys Friday um, thank you for joining us on the live stream and we'll see you Friday and also um, are, are they off oh, okay all right so we're ending so okay um, thank you again for for making it to the very end um, if you guys want to just take like, you know, a minute or two, um, just say, you know, who you are, where you are, um, what you're doing now, and anything that you want to share. Um, so it's a nice way for all of us to meet, you know, for everyone to meet each other, but also for the professor to know who you are. So why don't we start, you guys can see on screen in order, right? So why don't we step in, start in the upper left hand with Sahar? I mean, we I, just to introduce to the group because obviously Sahar is a, is a, a student of the professors here at UCLA. She Sahar did his, her doctorate with me. Um, Do you want to wave Sahar? She's <laughs> one of the doctoral casualties. <laughs> and, uh, I, when did you defend Sahar? It's been has it been a year? No, has it? Oh, it's been a year. Really? Okay. Oh. Do, can you turn on your, your um, Sahar, can you turn on your, your microphone and then just kind of give everybody a, a just brief introduction? Can you hear me, Sahar? Oh, okay. Can you turn on your microphone? Yeah, can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you now. Assalamu yeah, alaikum. alaikum, everyone. Thank you very much, Dr. Abbas Public. Amazing as usual. Uh, I'll make it uh, very short for you guys. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Saha Zahed. Uh, yeah, I I had my uh, uh, I have a PhD from UCLB on Islamic studies, and my focus is on Islamophobia in countries uh, with Muslim majority, especially on Egypt. The focus is on Egypt, uh, and uh, Dr. Abul Fadl's uh, student. He was my advisor, and uh, right now I'm. Uh, looking for a job, so yeah, I still didn't work, but I'm looking for a job, and it's very nice meeting all of you. It's very nice meeting all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, Rizwan. Oh, yeah. Salam alaikum. Um, so my name is Rizwan. I'm from Toronto, Canada. Uh, I recently completed my master's in political economy. I was working in the government, but then the coronavirus kind of shut things down. So now I'm kind of in an in-between period, as I'm sure is the case for many. Um, you know, I really appreciated this, and I've learned so much since uh, being exposed and really taking seriously the material that I've had access to by uh, the professor. Um, and I really enjoyed this discussion very much. That's all I have to say. Thank you so much. Um, Germana is um, in is our, our Bosnian person, and I know that she had told me that this is very late for wherever she is. So I, I'm going to skip on Germana. <laughs> okay, she's the letter D. Amira. Oh, Assalamu alaikum, Amira. everyone. My name is Amira. I'm Egyptian, and I am currently working on my PhD at the University of Helsinki in Finland. And in Islamic studies, with a focus on the Quranic ethical worldview. Thank you. Serene. 
Hi, Tom. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. Um, I live in Dallas, Texas. I actually work as a business analyst now. My undergrad was in chemistry and my master's is in international business. Um, and I volunteer with the um, Muslim organization that advocates for the homeless and the impoverished immigrants. And um, another organization that advocates for um, justice and liberation. And um, I train in Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu, if that's interesting to anybody, but uh, sorry, that's about so it. What was that again? That last, what was the last thing you said? I train in Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu, if that's interesting. Oh, um, she trains in Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> uh, in what? Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Jiu-Jitsu. That's awesome. So you have to watch yourself around her. <laughs> She's good protection to have around. Yeah, seriously. Okay. <laughs> Elaine? Elaine? Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. Sorry, I'm very new. I've never actually used this. Never actually used this. Well, yeah, this is one of the first times for us too. So no worries. It's very nice meeting all of you and for inviting me to participate in this. I am a very old supporter of the professor. I used to study and take holidays with him when he was at the University of Texas at Austin back in '93. Um, yeah. And uh, he was, I, I'm a convert, and he yeah. was just really the lifesaver of keeping me in my faith through this very long and challenging journey. And um, uh, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, so I was a student at University of Texas, and I have a degree in education and a master's in life science, uh, and I have five children. And uh, I am uh, remarried and this last year living with my husband in Cairo and traveling, pursuing some work opportunity. So actually I just got back from the UK, was stuck in lockdown there and uh, now in Benicia, California. Well, alhamdulillah, you made it back safely. What a journey. <laughs> but. Yes, so Elaine was with us in the very first Quran Halakas. So she's been there since yeah. God, since the beginning. So alhamdulillah. <laughs> okay, great. Allah? Can you just tell me, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right. How do you say your first name? Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, you're pronouncing it right. Allah, but my full name is Allah Uddin. Allah You can call me Allah. Allah, okay. Yeah, hello, Dean. Um, oh, yeah, a little bit about me. I was born and raised in York, um, in Yorkshire, in England. Um, I'm a graphic designer by trade. Um, that's what I've studied in all my life. Um, I've just recently founded my own creative agency, um, and I'm the creative director of that. Um, and I do branding, marketing, and advertising, all things creative. For like a lot of it is Muslim orientated to try and do a bit of PR and show them a better and more and authentic light. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. Alhamdulillah, may God bless you. It's so important. Very, very happy to be here. Should I tell the story about needing a PR firm? Like, thank you so much. Okay, let's move on. Cheyenne. 
Assalamu alaikum. Thank you guys so much for all of the amazing work you guys do today and always. And thank you all also for helping as a community to keep the professor and Grace and Chief and the whole family motivated to continue to spread all of their amazing blessings and knowledge towards us. Alhamdulillah, I know that we all are supposed to be quite remarkable I mean I could it could have fooled me I could have thought I, I've written it so I, I know, he, he somehow it internalized the style of the conference of the books and he wrote a chapter imitating the style it was very good and so I, I, I don't think I'm ever gonna forget you um, after that um, and I also there's a video that Grace showed me uh, with your wife sort of became famous with us because she's overheard encouraging you to um, oh to read that to, to, oh this is when yeah. you guys when you shared the article yeah oh, that's right. when yes, she, you shared she shared the chapter and yes, I showed you actually, <laughs> yeah and I showed you the the video of him playing the instrument oh that's right yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's an okay. accomplished musician as well. Yeah, so, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I enjoy playing the, the Arabic lute and the Persian harmonics. It's some of my uh, uh, one of my first loves. Uh, one of my first loves. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Great. Alhamdulillah. Salam alaikum, Nora. I just think, sorry, I was just going to add. I think Shayan's got an edge on everyone just because of the Persian. <laughs> the Persian factor here. <laughs> Yes, but you have an edge because you're a woman. <laughs> so, Salaamu Alaikum, Nora. I am in Kentucky. I'm from Kentucky. I, um, speaking of Kentucky, we had our first Muslim day at the Capitol in January, um, and I was one of the organizers with um, Care Kentucky. We built really great relationships with our state legislators, and um, that was a really great uh, milestone for our community here. I also, um, I love Dr. Khadib Fadid. Um, I watched so many of your lectures. I just got a conference of the books, um, so I'm currently reading this book right now. Um, you've helped me so much with 
just finding my religion and looking for what I need to go back to the, just just go back to the basics and have a build a strong foundation. And I also appreciate your passion for um, Palestine. Um, I'm Palestinian and. One of my goals is to write a book. Um, I titled it "Justice Beyond the Graves," um, for in honor of my um, family members that have lost their lives because of the injustices they experienced. Alhamdulillah. Inshallah, you will do it. Inshallah. Inshallah. Wonderful to meet you. Assalamu alaikum, Omar. Uh, my name is Omar. Uh, I'm also in London. So, all the system break in the sky as well. I work in financial services. Uh, I'm actually, I have Pakistani origin, but I grew up in Italy. So, that's well, uh, unusual, I guess. Um, I'm also a musician. So, the, my YouTube channel is a bit of a weird mix of drum covers and likes to all the Asuli Institute videos, which could <laughs> generate some confusion. But yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for the opportunity. And obviously, I love all the material that you produce. Wonderful. So nice to meet you. Assalamu alaikum, Anjum. Walaikum assalam. So, um, I got to first know about um, Dr. Abulfazl back in 96, and I was just trying to figure out um, where to go after I had finished my bachelor's in international relations, and I wanted uh, to study Islamic law. Um, and I actually grew up in Saudi Arabia, even though I'm from Massachusetts, and to Pakistan, I'm born to Pakistani parents. So my family's still overseas, and I was trying to figure out where to go to school. Um, I didn't end up at UT Austin, though I got in, and I was going to go there, but I ended up at McGill. Um, but nonetheless, I had a really nice conversation with Dr. Wolfalo back in 96, and after that, I just started following him. And then when I started my first job at a law firm, um, trying to help Muslim families bridge civil law and Islamic law, um, that was when I started tapping into him and writing to him for fatwas <laughs> to help me out. Um, so I got my master's in Islamic studies and I concentrated on uh, women and children's rights uh, in Islamic law at McGill. And then after that, um, I moved to Virginia and I got married uh, to somebody from California, actually. Um, I'm now a single mom, but I am working in multiple schools a lot on racial reconciliation dialogue for the last 15, almost 20, or between 15 to 20 years. Um, I'm also studying neuroscience and psychology on my own, um, a lot of that in um, uh, personal and self-development work that I did with an international NGO um, that um, uh, led me now to also helping create and found a new NGO which is called International Hu uh, International Institute for Human Security. And so I'm now kind of got multiple hats. Meanwhile, um, I also am a retirement and Medicare specialist. <laughs> that's, my, that's my job to pay the bills. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm still very passionate about 
um, learning and I do a lot of public talks on Islam and then I still have to interact with the community. So um, anything that I glean from uh, the Sheikh, I try to um, transfer that knowledge to others so I can help educate um, a lot of people and especially women um, on their rights. So it's, it's uh, multiple things and I've got two teenage kids. See, you're Superwoman. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> chapter dedicated to you. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. Okay, salam alaikum, Kamran. Wa alaikum salam. I'm just humbled to be in the presence of everybody else here. Uh, we all know the eminent of Dr. Khalid and, and Sister Grace, but all of you also are quite impressive. I bless each and every one of you. Um, I am. Uh, I actually got to know Tafakhal through uh, one of the imams and mentors of my own, Imam uh, Aziz. And many years ago when we were just in a, in a youth group setting and, and for some reason he decided to see us, uh, we took a trip down to LA and met with him and, uh, and ever since then I've been following his work. Um, I currently, uh, I work at an Islamic institution here, uh, Islamic Institute here in Sacramento, California, um, called the Tibia Institute, where we uh, my, I particularly receive a lot of youth that have gone through struggles and issues at, at other uh, communities or, or outside of the community settings um, and working with them in terms of reconciling their faith. Um, and so I get a lot of what I, what I work on uh, from what Dr. Khaled um, speaks and writes about. Um, and I'm currently uh, looking into, inshallah, uh, uh, inshallah looking into uh, furthering my education uh, with a uh, you know upper uh, 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 either a, uh, a PhD in Islamic studies or something related, um, but just starting that to explore currently. But please, uh, I'll ask for your thoughts in that matter. Wonderful, thank you, Kamran. Salam alaikum, Sayed. Uh, thank you so much, all I can say, uh, for another incredible, insightful commentary. Um, for anybody else, I graduated from uh, UCLA with my doctorate with uh, Professor Buffalo as my advisor two years ago. Um, I won't say former student, but definitely current student, and inshallah, forever student uh, with him. Um, my dissertation focused on the beginnings of the process by which stoning became a punishment for adultery in Islamic uh, law. And um, I am assistant professor of Islamic and interreligious studies and the director of the Catholic Muslim Studies program at Catholic Theological Union. It's a graduate school of theology in Chicago. And my family and I are right now in LA, but in a couple of weeks we will be in Chicago. Inshallah, may that move be be safe and smooth, inshallah. So. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum, Joe. Assalamu alaikum. Um, so I'm Joe. I'm from Manchester in Northern England. In December, I got my PhD in Islamic studies from uh, University of Edinburgh. Um, I looked at uh, debates around shirk, interpretations of shirk in classical and contemporary Islamic thought. Um, I, I desperately needed a job, I desperately needed money as soon as I passed, so I then got a job at the BBC 
where I currently am, which is uh, interesting. Um, I converted to Islam in 2016, but I really kind of I said, discovered or started learning anything about Islam around 2011, 2012. And I read the professor's book, Speaking in God's Name, was one of the very first works that kind of fell into my path. I never heard of the professor. I didn't know anything. I was just reading anything I could. And um, when that book dropped and I read, then I haven't really looked back since. And so the professor's work has been a kind of constant companion. Long may that continue, inshallah. Um, I'll just say I'm also working with Grace. I have been since January on the kind of khutbah project, turning the professor's, a selection of the professor's Friday khutbahs into a volume, which will be out soon, let's hope. Inshallah, du'as and that, please. Yeah, Joe's amazing. So we, we've been, um, we transcribe all of the khutbahs, and Joe has taken the first pass at like working it, you know, massaging the text, editing it to make it into like a readable text. And we, um, it's an amazing project. We're shooting to do all of the khutbahs, but it's going to be a long process. We're just on the first volume. And so he's been amazing. And I should say, I'm also working with Cheyenne in Ohio on starting to do the same process with the halakas, with the, the tafsir halakas. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm just amazed. These guys are amazing and brilliant and, um, you know, are in it for the long haul. So I just have nothing but amazing things to say about, you know, well, I mean, all of everyone, everyone who's, who's here with us. So, alhamdulillah. But it's exciting because it's a project that's moving and, and we're trying to make good progress on that. And thank you for staying up all night. Assalamu <laughs> alaikum, Hassam. How are you? Last but not least. Yeah, um, yeah, um, so I am, I guess, I'm a Palestinian Canadian. I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, I studied physics and math in undergrad. Um, I am studying, um, I'm doing a climate science PhD at Princeton, but I'm currently back in Canada because of the virus. Um, yeah, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the professor's books. I found them not too long ago, and uh, it would be a huge understatement to say that I found them helpful. So, Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much. It's amazing to know all of you. I mean, everyone is so impressive, and um, really grateful that you were with us this whole journey. So, inshallah, may, we, may, we, may this be the start of a very long journey together. May Allah bless you all, inshallah, wa rahmatullah, Thank you, everyone. Um, I, I, I think my, my madad has been withdrawn. Yeah, time to crash and have dinner. <laughs> it's now almost 10 o'clock here, so we we're going to have a late dinner. But may, may Allah be with you and, and, and uh, keep you safe, inshallah, until inshallah. we meet again, bismillah. Inshallah. Well, Okay, take care. Salam alaikum. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
He's in the UK. Oh, he's in, okay. So he's stuck in the UK. Oh my gosh. But we went there in March, and then the lockdown happened. Oh and, my and god. Well, to Cairo. So we've been stuck in the UK. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is um, is he gonna come to? Is he gonna go back to Cairo, or is he gonna come back to the U.S.? Right now, it's kind of, he's working on an opportunity, and it's not subtle where it's going to be. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, we're praying for you, inshallah. So, yeah, and maybe if, I know if, if you wanted to connect another time, you know, that'd be wonderful. How long are you here? Or I, I get, uh, I have custody of the kids uh, next week, uh, on July 5th, and then I'm scheduled to have them for a month. Oh, great. Wonderful. We'll stop the, uh, can place orders for those now that the corona is up. I don't, everything is so yeah. unknown. So, um, but, but I'll be in okay. I don't want to pick you up. Okay, well, we'll be in touch, so we'll catch up soon, inshallah. Okay, assalamualaikum. Wonderful to see you. Take care. Assalamualaikum. That was amazing. When, when as I said this, it's like I thought, okay, you know, I, I, I know, like now more, I have more confidence why Allah, like every time I pray this heart on this, I get the same answer that, no, you have to, because if you notice it's like now I'm like much more explicit that, no, you know, it, there's no other authority. I'm not getting this from anywhere. This is my opinion. Yeah. It's just my research. No, it's beautiful. And you know, it's like okay, if you don't, if people, people can take it or leave it. Just, but I am convinced that that every surah, every surah, it's like exactly what it's like. Every surah has, and it just can't be a coincidence. No, it's alhamdulillah. It was amazing. Okay, I'm gonna tell you. You can't hear me, but <laughs> it was amazing. How are you? Good. What time did you actually wake up? I know you got out of bed late, but I think you're still recording.